0: Mountain, good to see everybody. Glad you're here joining us from wherever you might be uh, hopping in with us today, whether at the uh, Bel Air campus or the Edgewood campus or the Abingdon campus, Mountain Road campus, online, whoever you are. Glad you're with us. Mine is Ben, one of the pastors here. Finally, spring is in the air, huh? You got the birds chirping and the trees budding and the sun on your shoulders. It's awesome. Except uh, last weekend, I went to Minnesota. Spoke to some church leaders up there, and, uh, well, this happened. Well, I'm in Minnesota. It's, uh, it's snowing. And uh, that's what we're doing. All right, so surprise, right? You never know. You never know. Some ladies, A lot of places got over 20 inches, some like 25 or 7 or whatever. It's like, yeah, whatever. Surprise. Uh, it was pretty crazy. That's kind of the definition of a surprise, right? It's something that kind of like catches you off guard, like wasn't expecting that. It makes you kind of like notice because it's out of the ordinary, right? That's what a surprise really is. Here's what was surprising to me. Even though I grew up in Minnesota, it was surprising that we got all that snow. What was surprising to me was how little most of the Minnesotans even cared. They are like, Eh. Well, they just got in their car and drive home and didn't matter. In fact, some people just went on with life like nothing. Check this guy out. It's how this happened. No big deal. Just whatever. So, we're in a series. We're calling the series Surprise the World. And the whole idea is that we began talking about how Jesus, everything about Jesus, if you allow it to, to really sink in, is shocking and surprising. The way he came, the way he taught, what he stood for, how he lived his life. And then he died a surprising death. And then, surprise of all surprise, he comes back to life again, and now Jesus is calling you and me to live surprising lives. That's the call, that you would live your life in a way that, like Jesus lived, would cause people to notice and turn their head and say, what's up with that? In fact, as we talked about in that passage from from 1 Peter, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Let them see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. We're supposed to live surprising lives. And it says, be ready to give an answer. And the only reason you need to be ready to give an answer is if someone's asking you a question. And the only reason they're going to ask you a question is if you're doing something that's a little out of the ordinary. You know, just if you're a little bit like Jesus, in other words. So are you living a questionable life that would cause someone to be curious? Why doesn't she do that? Or why does he do things that way? Or there's something pure and beautiful about what they do. We're talking about being odd for God, right? Odd in a good way where there's something that you do that causes your life to sort of be remarkable in a, in a sense. This is what the call is. And so we're, we're, we're investigating these five habits that will help us kind of live this out, okay? Five habits that everyone can do. They're habits from the life of Jesus. And as we get serious about trying to implement these habits into our life, they will shape our own hearts and they will also have an impact on other people. Big time. And the habits, all five of them together, the first letters uh, spell the word bells, okay? Remember what the first, what was the first habit? Bless, right? We're just blessing everybody's socks off. If you're new to the party or late to the game, here you go. The assignment and the homework every week is bless three people. Any way you want to, you know, uh, love on them any way you can. Uh, Say some good words. uh, Give them a gift. Uh, 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 encourage them, acts of kindness, whatever you want to do. And I love hearing the stories. You guys are having a good time with this. I, I love hearing some of the things that are happening at work and in your neighborhoods and your family. And if, and if you haven't done it, just get with it. Bless some people. You'll have a ball. I was with some staff. Uh, we were out eating. A bunch of us were eating at a restaurant. And uh, we could tell this young server she was a struggling and he had to take care of us and she was having a hard time. So we just we just piled together, we just gave her a monster tip. We called her and wanted to give it to her to, and said, we just want to bless you with this. She started crying. She's like, oh, you have no idea. What, can I hug somebody? She's like, oh, who are you people? What are you know, so, but that that's how it works. Blessing is fun. Have some fun with it and, and bless people. Now, I'm gonna remind you that we we had this Easter offering that mountain people gave, and y'all were, it was a special over and above gift and you all were so generous. I want to remind you give you an update. We took seventeen thousand of that dollar, seventeen thousand of those dollars and it went to help partner to plant a brand new church in Wilmington, Delaware and the update is that the Delaware Christian Church is launching today right now. so be in prayer for that church it 's happening. And so we're praying for Pastor Marcos Mercado and some of the others there, and we'll give you, keep you updated. The second, about the same amount, went to a new church start in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, that is happening, and we'll give you an update on that as well. The, re- the rest of it, we then said, let's just use locally to help bless people who need it. And so we're calling it Sir Blessing. And every week we've been showing you just a couple of those on video. A lot more has been going on than what we can show you. But here's some stuff from just this last week. Thank you for all you do. You're joking. Here, no. No way, way, way! Oh my God! Are you kidding yes. me? Yes. Oh my gosh. Is that a computer? That's a computer for you. For you. Oh my gosh. Cry, I'm trying to hold <laughs> I so oh needed a girl. computer. Oh my goodness! That's- yeah, Josiah, you got door number one or door number two. Which one are you going with? Crowd, help them out, please. So look at the screen. We need you to deliver them in your own. small group man when we did we wanted to study bruh it was a god moment and so a few of us stayed around after and that whole moment led us directly to you bruh this is just a blessing from so many people in here you have no idea how many people we had anonymous donations of thousands of dollars mountain threw in everybody threw in because they love you so congratulations Sí. le damos un saludo grande, le amamos muchísimo. que sigan sigan con el mensaje de Jesús gracias hermano gracias hermano por eso sí. me... ella All right, so it's fun to bless people. That's your homework. That's your homework. You don't always have to do some big splashy thing. Just little things with great love really matter a lot. So back to the habits. That's the first one. You're going to bless three people Uh, Every week, someone in the church, someone outside church, anyone else? What's the second one? Eat. Everybody remembers that one. Eat, right. Just eat well, but not just sit down and eat free meals, but eat intentionally, as we talked about last week. Just open your table to someone just like Jesus opened his table to you. And then L stands for learn. We're going to come back to that one. And then the next L is listen, where we just learn to get good at hearing what God is really saying to us as we hear the Spirit of God guiding and nudging us. And S is for sent, where remember, your life is to be lived on a mission for God. There's a purpose for why you're here. B-E-L-L-S, that's the bell we're going to ring. And if we do that, it's going to surprise the world. It really will. Today, we want to focus on the ability for every one of us. I don't know where you're starting today, um, but it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you to see how important it is that you learn from Christ. As we incorporate this habit of learning from Jesus, are you learning from Jesus in your life. There's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and learning from Jesus, isn't there? Right? My son Andrew grew up in our house. He watched my he watched his mom cook cashew chicken his whole life. He knows about Carla. He knows about cashew chicken. When he went off to college, guess what he called home asking, "Ma, how do you make cashew chicken?" Because he knew about it, but he hadn't learned from her, see? And so that's when he figured out how much soy sauce, how to make the rice, and do all that stuff. Now there's a big difference, and we need to get the same way with Jesus. We need to do no more than learning facts and reciting stories and knowing a few tidbits and the, and the sort of spiritual highlight reel of Jesus' life and activity to where we're learning from him and implementing who he is in our own life toward likeness. Big difference. Are you learning from Jesus? Remember that old bracelet or bumper sticker, WWJD, remember that? Right, that's, that's pretty good. It's not bad. But I agree with John Stackhouse when he says that really that's not the right question. The main question for a disciple isn't WWJD. What would Jesus have done? It's not even what did Jesus say. Not, not, you know what the right question is? What would Jesus want me to do right now? It's not as catchy on a bracelet. WWJMRDDD, you know. but, but But that's the right question. What would Jesus want me to do as I live out my life right now? It's not enough to go back to history and recite a bunch of stuff. But as we learn to be like him, act like him, think like him, that's what will surprise the world. That's what will surprise the world. You know, I really believe there's basically kind of two main traits that you find in a disciple. And I believe they are these. Intimacy. And obedience. Intimacy and obedience. Intimacy means you have a real relationship with Jesus. Like you talk with him and you hang out with him and you're close, you're growing closer to him. You know him, he knows you. Intimacy. Real relationship. And then obedience means you're intentionally bending your will toward his will. You're bending your heart and your mind toward the mind and heart of Christ. You are... Trying more and more to do what he says and actually follow his teachings. Intimacy and obedience. There's a lot of things that Christians busy themselves with, but really, you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it comes down to those things. Intimacy and obedience. And that's what Jesus really wants from us. He summarized it this way. He just says, follow me. Like, Remember when he started his ministry? Uh, you, you go back to... Um, uh, like Matthew uh, chapter 4. Jesus is walking along the shores of Galilee. sees these two guys, Peter and Andrew. They're fishermen washing their nets, doing their thing, their daily work. And Jesus comes up to them and he said, follow me and I will teach you to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed them. And that's what Jesus wants to have happen in your life, that he would just say to you, follow me. And you would actually do that. Did you know being a Christian is actually someone who truly follows Jesus. Not someone who declares and checks a box on some form and says, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. You're a Christian if you follow Jesus. That's what it actually means. In the time of Christ... Uh, the Jewish teachers were called rabbis. And it was like the pinnacle. It was thought to be like, that's like the, the greatest thing you could ever become is a rabbi. And so all the young males especially would study and hope to become someone that they could maybe become a disciple of one of the rabbis and become a rabbi themselves. It was just like a great honor. And so if you were an aspiring young student, you might go and kind of like apply for an internship with one of these rabbis, right? You could like hope to get on as an apprentice because a rabbi would never ask you, would never invite you. You would go and make application and then the rabbi would accept the elite few that he thought were the sharpest cream of the crop kind of students and you could then follow him. If you made the cut, you could be a disciple. And if you were a disciple, what you would do then is you would literally follow that rabbi everywhere he went. You'd follow him around from morning till night so you could learn from him and be like him in every way. If he, every word he said, you hung on it. You listened and looked at everything he reacted to. If he bent down, picked up a blade of grass, put it in his mouth, you bent down, picked up a blade of grass, put it in your mouth because you wanted to be like your rabbi. They literally followed these guys into the bathroom because they were afraid they might bless the toilet or something in a way they didn't want to miss anything. They had a saying that goes like this, May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, that was a blessing to say to you, may you, be, may you follow your rabbi so closely that he's walking along the road of life. You're right there behind him, and if he kicks up dust, it'll land on you. That's how closely you're following. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. As again, I said most rabbis only pick the best of the best, and then the rest they would send back to their normal jobs. And then Jesus, this radical rabbi, comes by. And when he finds Peter and Andrew, remember, what are they doing? They're fishing. And that's because they didn't make the cut. They uh, were sent back to their jobs. They aren't disciple material. And so Jesus, first of all, he invites them, which never happened, follow me. And who's he talking to? The B team. These are the guys that got cut. Jesus, though, he works with misfits and cast-offs and his whole team is made up of unpolished, unqualified rejects and dorks. People like, well, like the person next to you, for example. They would be, they would be great disciple material. Okay? Because Jesus invites and works with ordinary, unspectacular, run-of-the-mill people like you and me who he says follow me, which is so encouraging because so many of us, as soon as we start talking about intimacy and obedience, we feel like failures. We feel like, I can't do that. I don't have the strength, the capacity, the know-how. I'm just, you don't have any idea. I can't do this. And Jesus is like, oh man, I can work with you. In fact, I'm going to invite you. You don't have to apply or prove yourself. I invite you, follow me, and I can teach you. I will take you on. That's his invitation. So today, I, decide, I, I hope you will commit to saying, I want to follow Jesus. You made it this far, you got into it inside a church, you're listening online, great. That's only the beginning. The challenge is like 1 John 2 6 says this whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. To actually live our lives like Jesus, to be Christ like. Christian isn't something you declare, it's something you do, isn't it? Follow. Jesus, Galatians three twenty seven says, "All who have you been united with Christ in baptism, have now put on Christ." Isn't that a great phrase? Put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So when like when we put on new clothes, it's like this is what you see. You see my clothes. So you get baptized, you get all wet. You got to change your clothes. What do you put on? Well, go put on Jesus. That's what it's saying. Every day you get out of bed, put your Jesus gear on, so people see you coming. They're like, "There's something about that guy that reminds me of Jesus." Can't figure out what it is. Maybe it's. The way they are, the way they act. So this idea of Christ-likeness is all through Scripture. I mean, there's so many places I could show you. Like, just like Romans 8, 29, where it says that God knew his people in advance. Even before we were born, he chose them to become like his son. That's God's plan for your life, is that you would be more like Jesus. Give you one more. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that the Lord, who is the Spirit, is making us more and more like Him. That's what God wants to be happening in your life right now, that you be more and more like Jesus as we get changed into his glorious image. Wow. That's what's supposed to be happening in our lives. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus, well, what does that mean? How, how, do we, how do we be like Jesus? Let me give you, I'll give you three examples. All right? These are ways that you're called to. You could be like Jesus. And I'll use a fancy word to get started here. You can be impressed, all right? One of the ways we're called to be like Jesus is in the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. It's a big, fancy theological word. It's simple, though. All it means is this. It means it's the miracle when God, divine God, becomes flesh, comes to earth, leaves the comforts of heaven to become among us as Jesus and then to move among us and serve and to be with us and to love us, like face to face, like right here with us, to be with us. That's a, now, you can't do that. You can't, like, stop being God and become a human. But if we're going to be like Jesus, then, then we figure out ways that that movement of Jesus is true in our own lives. Someone would say that we would live incarnationally which means there's going to be times when you're going to have to leave your comfort zone to go serve. Like the guys that just got back from Puerto Rico on our mission trip. That was incarnational what they did. They left the comforts of their present existence to go serve some others. It's a little bit like Jesus. There's going to be times when you're going to have to just be with people instead of just kind of thinking you can just isolate yourself. you got to go be with people to be like Jesus. See, That's, there's lots of ways we can be like Jesus. This is what Philippians 2 is getting at when it says this. It says, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. You have the same attitude of mind when he, was incarn- when he, when he became incarnate who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't just say, I'm going to stay up here in heaven and enjoy it. No, rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, sometimes you'll have to do something just like that if you want to be like Jesus. There's one example. How about this example? If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to be like him in his service. Okay? In his service. Remember the, the upper room The last night Jesus had with his disciples, he has that meal, and during the supper, he takes off his outer garment, bends down, fills up a bowl with water, gets a towel, goes around and washes the feet of the disciples. That's an act of a servant or a slave in those days. And then Jesus gets up, John 13, he gets up, here's what he says. He says, now, that I, your Lord and teacher, I'm your rabbi, and I've just washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus wants us to... Now, some have taken this to mean literally, like we should wash each other's feet, and you can do that if you want to. But I think it means more. Like there's going to be times when we'll have to humble ourselves and do things that we feel are beneath us. But if the Lord of the universe can wash feet like a slave, then sometimes we can get down on our knees and we can just serve people, just show up. We need more Christians who think that that's what it means to be like Jesus just to be like Jesus. What if people saw us as servants? That's Jesus. Or we need to be like Jesus in his love. Just think about that. Look at this. Look at this verse in Ephesians 5 two. It says this. It says, live a life of love. Wow. Think about that. What if you lived a whole life of love? Live a life of love. What would you look like if you did that? Live a life of love just as, and the phrase just as, literally in the Greek it means in the same way, in the same way that Christ loved us. Live like that. Remember how he did it? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God because he loved God, he loved us. And if you love Jesus, you'll love other people. Live a life of love, which which means that sometimes... When you look at Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross, you say, man, that's what love looks like. That's why husbands can listen to that and think about it when, they say, when the Bible says, husband loves your wives. Love your wives like Jesus did. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands like that. Sacrificial, like it's going to hurt and cost you something sometimes, probably, if you love like Jesus Kids, love your parents that way. Parents, love your kids that way. Employers, love your employees that way. Tell you what, if you do something like that, that's weirder than someone playing golf in the snow. And people will notice that and will surprise the world as we get Jesus into our lives and start living like it. Does this make sense? There's so many great verses I could show you. I just love First Peter 2.21. that summarizes it when it says, even in suffering, Christ also suffered, but he's leaving us an example so that we may follow in his steps to follow in his steps. Let me share with you one of my kind of favorite passages on this because it it helps me remember, and maybe it'll help you. It'll help us remember that this whole thing isn't just this oppressive, like you got to try to obey and be intimate and do all this stuff because we can feel defeated and guilty, but it's an invitation to a better way of living, and Jesus will help us. He'll give you the strength to do this. He'll help you. Look over with me for a moment at Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 and following. This is Jesus talking. Here's what he says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. To understand this passage, we've probably got to understand something about yokes, right? This is not like a yoke in the middle of an egg. It's not like the yoke is on you. It's like a yoke that's a farm implement back in the day. Here's a picture of one. You can see that. It was just a beam that went across the neck of a mule or an ox or a horse or a donkey or something like that, and a loop would be fastened to it so it could pull a plow or a cart, right? Jesus is talking about how a farmer would train a new young ox in the work to plow the field. If you just got that new ox and you yoke him up by himself and it just starts plowing, that new ox invariably is going to go too fast, not going to stay in the lines. It's going to tear up your fields, probably break your plow, and you won't be able to keep up. And then by the end of the day, that new ox will be too tired and be poking along and it won't be able to work at all and you won't get the work done. So what you need to do, you need to get hold of one of those double yokes where you can put two oxen side by side and you take that new Young ox right there by the old experienced ox that knows what he's doing. And you yoke them up together, and early in the day when that young ox wants to go too fast and get outside the lines and go, the, the old it's yoked together with that old ox, so just slow him down and keep him straight and calm and easy, slow and measured, and you won't break your equipment, and you won't ruin your crops. And as the day wears on and that young ox is tired and doesn't want to go anymore, the old ox is yoked there, can carry more of the weight and carry the burden and keep it moving forward, and you'll still get your work done because they were yoked together. The young ox learning from the old one. And Jesus is saying, and I don't want to do that with you. Would you? Would you want to do that? Could, could we yoke up together and let me show you some things about life, about how to live? Because your life honestly looks so hard sometimes right now. You're struggling. You're charging out after things in your own strength or you're doing things in your own terms and so you get so worn out sometimes and tearing things up. Let me show you a new life with different kind of rhythms. Take my yoke upon you and let's do life together side by side. Let me, let me just show you. Can you follow in my steps? He doesn't mean take my yoke like, here, I don't want it. You carry it. That's not what it means. It, it, it means let's lock in together and we'll do this together. And when you get off too fast and you're, you're just running through things and you're making a wreck of your relationships and life is tough and work isn't working out and all that stuff, I'm right there. I'm still yoked up with you. You're going to be okay. You'll see. I'll help us get through. When you're tired and defeated and exhausted and worn out from life, just know I'm yoked in. I'll carry most of the weight during those times and get you through it as well. And you can learn from me so much if you'll grow closer in intimacy and do as I do. Put it into your own life and you'll see. It's a beautiful invitation, but you've got to decide, would you, would you yoke yourself with Jesus? He's not going to come and trap you. That's a decision you make. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. So I love this passage that he ends his great commission with. I mean, this is the end of Jesus' life. He's lived his whole life. He's given all this example. He's called us to follow him. And then as he gets ready to leave, these are his words really to us. Here's what he said, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. He says, All authority has been on heaven and earth has been given to me. So, what I am about to say makes sense. Therefore, go and make disciples. And that's our mission as a church. Go and make disciples. I, Jesus says, I called you to follow me. We yoked up. Now go tell everyone they can be yoked up. Of everyone. And there's two ways he says you can do that. First, you start by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that's how you bring them in. Get them started. Baptizing them, that's the rite of initiation. Get them started. But don't stop there. What else does he say? He says, and also, teaching them what? To obey everything I have commanded you. I gave you so much example, so much teaching. Put it into your life, but teach them to do the same thing. They're going to follow you. Teach them to obey. And we hear that word teach, I think a lot of times we immediately think of learning new facts. Like we think our job is to learn or to teach others as they become into Christianity. Like we got to learn some new information about Jesus. Like it's all about that. But look closely because it isn't a command to teach information at all. It says teaching them to what? Teaching them to obey. Teaching information and teaching to obey are very different things. Okay? Our main mission isn't to impart a bunch of content so people can recite facts and tell stories and know the details and the data and get questions right on a test and fill in the blanks properly at a Bible study about Jesus. That's not the goal. The goal is so that people can be formed into their character, learn how to actually follow Jesus, to be like him, to think like him, to sort of find little ways in your life and mine that, boy, that looked a little bit like Jesus. Teaching them to obey, so that when life gets hard and you got to decide when things are bad and you don't know whether to leave your marriage or not, the only reason you stay is because you know Jesus would want you to hang in there and hang in there one more day because Jesus tells you to. You just try. That's the only thing. Or like when you you know you've got you've got an opportunity and you know there's a right thing to do to be generous and to give towards something, but you feel like man I'd rather buy a boat. And the only reason you just say, oh Jesus is telling me to give and you give that's that's what, teaching them to obey. That's where the rubber hits the road. In real life, everyday decisions, disciples are not people who like Jesus. Disciples are not people who understand who Jesus is. Disciples aren't people who can get every doctrinal question right on a test. Disciples aren't people who go to Bible studies all day, every day. They're not people who approve of Jesus, who understand Jesus. Disciples are people who obey Jesus, who do what he says. They follow in his steps. And none of us is perfect with this. In fact, all of us are pretty bad at it. But, you know, that's really the mark of it. Intimacy and obedience. A lot of Christians get real excited about Bible study, and that's good, but you know what? Knowing about the Bible doesn't make you a disciple any more than watching cooking shows makes you a chef, or watching medical shows makes me a surgeon. It's not how it works. You can love the Bible and completely miss the message and not apply it to your life. There was an old country preacher who stood up one Sunday. and said, I'm going to preach my best sermon, and he preached a sermon. It was, love your neighbor loving everybody all the time. He just preached his sermon. Great illustration. Just gave his best, best sermon. He sat down. People thought it was a pretty good sermon. Comes back the next week. And he preaches the same sermon. Same exact word for word. Love your neighbor. Tells the same stories. Does the same thing. Love your neighbor. Sits down. They're like, well, that's weird. Maybe he forgot. I don't know. He comes back the third week. Same sermon. Starts into it. Everybody's like rolling their eyes like, come on. Guy in the back can't stand anymore. He says, preacher, what is the deal? It's the third week in a row you give me the same sermon on love your neighbor. And the preacher says, well, when you successfully apply this material and start doing it, we'll move on to new stuff. (laughs) See, that's me. That's my big problem. My problem is not that I don't know enough stuff about Jesus. My problem is not that I don't know enough stuff about what Jesus says. My problem is that I just don't do what I already know. It's probably your problem, too. Whether you've been walking with Jesus about three minutes or 30 years, that's your problem, probably, because that's the hard part. That's why a lot of people say I'm a Christian, but you know what? Becoming a Christian isn't something you declare. It's something you do. Let me ask you a question. What percentage of what you already know is obeyed by you? What percent of what we already know? How are you doing in obeying the stuff, the loving your enemies stuff? The laying down your life for your friends stuff, the being patient, humble, kind, and compassionate stuff, the fighting for justice stuff, all this stuff. How much of what we already know are we doing? Because the disciple is one who is intimate, hangs out with Jesus, but obeys. You know, my daughter Ellie, she's off at college, so she can't defend herself. So I'll tell you, when she was a teenager living at home, once in a while, you know, her room would look great. And then about 30 minutes later, be like, What happened? And then like four hours later, it's like, holy cow, a tornado came through. And like the next day, it was like you couldn't even walk through without breaking your ankle. And then like a week later, it's like, okay, the health department's on its way. This is ridiculous. Hey, Ellie, you got to clean your room. Okay, please, please just clean your room. What if, what if Ellie comes back to me? A little while later, a few days later, she comes back. She says, oh, man, dad, you asked me to clean my room. So I, you know what? I did a whole bunch of study about that. And I looked into the cultural context of cleaning a room in the ancient Near Eastern world in the time of Egyptian slavery and everything. I looked at the tools they used to clean the room and what their rooms looked like in their national world. It's just amazing. I learned so much. And then I studied cleaning a room in the time of Jesus. And... I, 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 what, I learned what a study, uh, what a command would mean like that. And I did a word study on the phrase, clean your room. I did it in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. I can tell you all kinds of things. I actually wrote a book about this. I'm writing a song, starting a Christian band. We got a whole DVD series, and I posted on Facebook about it. A bunch of people liked it. I'm going on today's show to teach everyone how to clean their room. Listen, what do I want to know as a parent right at that moment? All I care about is, is your room clean? The rest is blah, 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 blah. Don't you think this is how Jesus feels about us sometimes? It's I just love your neighbor. Blah, 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 Bible study, groups, churches, sermons, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't care. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Here's a quote for you. Spiritual maturity is directly related to the length of time between hearing the Word of God and doing it. I love that because sometimes we mistakenly think spiritual maturity is like how long you've been hanging around the church. No. I know a lot of people have been hanging around the church a long time and they're just as baby Christians as they ever were. I know some other people that are brand new to the faith, but the amount of time between when they hear something and when they do, it's like really short. And so they demonstrate greater maturity. Like Jesus says, let go of a grudge and they do. Only because he says so. Love your enemies? Like, ah, they do. Jesus addresses something in their heart about prejudice or racism, and they're like, ah, oh, I mean, i got to surrender that, and they do. When you got an area of your life, you've got to give over to the Lord. That's obedience. That's discipleship. Let me leave you with this. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. This is Jesus' teaching. Pretty simple, but also profound. Jesus says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine, okay, you hang out with me, you understand, you, you come to understand, you get some stuff in your head and your heart about me, and puts them into practice, you actually do the stuff. Ah, you're very wise. You're like a person who built his house on the rock. That's a foundation to build your life on. Hear it and do it. That's, then he says, the rain comes down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, but it didn't fall because it had a foundation on the rock. Why? Because you heard the word and you did it. Let me say, you know what, boil it, what it all boils down to is Christianity is a lot like golf. I know some of you are thinking, like, I can play golf. It's like, no, you can't. In, you, I'm talking about real golf, not putting the ball in the mouth of that clown. I'm talking about real golf. <laughs> golf is hard. I did a little study on this, you know. I've, I've, I'm not a great golfer, but I've done my homework on it. I've done some YouTube videos, I'll tell you. And I figured it out. The golf swing has, I think, 847 things you're supposed to think about all the time at every single second. That's all, just to keep it straight. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, it's about your feet and your position and your weight and your knees and your rear end and your shoulders and your head and your down and your breath and your And that's just to get in the golf cart. That's not even the golfing part. I tell you, it's really tricky. But the golfing, man, it's like all this stuff you gotta do to remember. It's like, oh, it's so complex. It's, you know what? If I go down here to Route One and Jay Perkins, my friend down there, he's gonna teach me a golf lesson. He's gonna look at me, he's gonna go, Ben, I'll make it simple for you. I'm gonna break it down to two things for you. Like, now you're talking my language. Golf comes down to two things. Ready? Backswing. Follow through. Backswing. Follow through. Do that in your golfing. Now we could talk about elbows and knees and weight, but that's pretty much it. If all I do is follow through, the ball's not going to go very far. But if all I do is backswing, <laughs> I never hit the ball at all. He hears these words and does them. Intimacy, obedience. Hang out with me, know me, come to understand my word, get it into your head and your heart, and then put it into action in your life. Love God, love people, serve the world. Backswing, follow through. I know some people, they were big on the backswing. They're in a podcast reading the Bible all day long. And they run around, but they actually run around like this all the time. They look like this. Yeah, I, I'm, I know Jesus, and you probably don't, and you're going to hell. I don't care. No follow through. I know some people that are like this all the time save the whale, save the seal, save everything, but they know. It's, a, it's just a bunch of moral do goodism. There's no Jesus in it, there's no connection to Christ. It's like it doesn't matter. It's intimacy, obedience, hear and do. Where are you strong? Intimacy? Obedience? Where are you weak? Here's your homework. Hang out with Jesus this week. That's your homework. You're going to still bless people. You're going to still eat some meals. Hang out with Jesus. Here's how I'd recommend doing it. Get out, get out a Bible, put it on your app or whatever, and read the Gospel of Mark. Read any size chunk you want every day. So every day, make some time. Hang out with Jesus by reading Mark. You can read one verse if that's all you got time for. You could read a whole chapter or two chapters. It'll only take you 90 minutes to read the whole thing. But read a chunk that you can handle, and then the next day, read the same chunk. Don't go forward. Read the same chunk. Day three, read the same chunk. Day four, go forward and read another chunk about the same size. And then repeat that three times. The reason is you don't want to. You could get through Mark faster, but that's not the goal. Is to see how fast you can get through. You're hanging out with Jesus, and if we just keep moving forward every day, we think, "Oh, I'm learning new things. I'm learning new things." But you're not really learning from. You're just learning about. Hang out with Jesus. Slow down and ask yourself these two questions: What is Jesus saying to me? What is Jesus saying to me? And then, when you let that sink in a little bit. What am I going to do about it? What is Jesus saying to me? What am I going to do about it? That's a habit. It'll surprise the world. Let's pray. God, help us. This is hard. This is uh, important. This is life-changing for us because we just want to do a surface-level run-through. We didn't really know that following you was going to change everything about us from the inside out. But that's really what we do want. We want more of you. So fill us, come to us, be with us, help us, yoke up with us through the hard parts. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Yeah, what a great word for us. Challenging word.